0: We welcome you all to worship this evening, and as we, as we come to worship, we hear our Lord's call to worship this evening from Psalm 29, the first three verses. Give unto the Lord, O ye mighty. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. And worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Please turn with me in the Scriptures to the New Testament, to the first uh, epistle or letter to the Corinthian church, chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And we'll begin reading at verse 12 to the end of the chapter. 1 Corinthians 6, beginning at verse 12. Let's hear the word of the Lord. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Meats for the belly and belly for the meats, but God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And and God hath both both raised up the Lord, and will also raise us up by his own power. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ, and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid! What? What? Know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and are, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body, and in your spirit, which are God's. So far the reading of God's holy and infallible word. Dear church family, please turn with me to the back of the Psalter through the Heidelberg Catechism, uh, Lord's Day 41, which you can find on page 78. I'd like to read the questions, the two questions together first. Page 78. Question 108. What doth the seventh commandment teach us? Answer that all uncleanness is accursed of God, and that therefore we must with all our heart detest the same and live chastely and temperately, whether in holy wedlock or in single life. Question 109. Does God forbid in, his, in this commandment only adultery and such like gross sins? Answer Since both our body and soul are temples of the Holy Ghost, He commands us to preserve them pure and holy, and therefore He forbids all unchaste actions, gestures, words, thoughts, desires, and whatever can entice men thereto. This evening, as we consider the seventh commandment, we must we must recognize and acknowledge that we live in a world that has glorified sexuality. And in 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 the sense of raising it up and presenting it in a way that is accessible on so many fronts, in terms of trying to glorify it, it is at the same time rendered it morally insignificant, which has created, in the words of Tim Challies, a moral laxity, even among Christians. He says, there is especially a general apathy toward blatant sexuality and nudity in our movies, our tv series and the list can go on. The world in in and in many ways the church has allowed this widespread acceptability of this moral laxity towards sexual immorality to to spread and to be present and to dominate our lives whether it's towards the uh, sensual in the movies, television shows that are consumed or whether it's in the incredible availability of pornography that is being produced and indulged in our society or whether it's in the 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 demise of marriage and the promotion of uh, cohabiting and just try to f- see if it works type of approach to relationships and friends the church isn't exempt the church is not exempt from the from these realities Consider the following uh, numbers in 2016, billion hours of pornography were watched from one website alone. That's 524,000 years worth of pornography. 57% of young adults admit to seeking out pornography at least once a month. 46% of men admit to the same. 96% 96% of young adults think of pornography in accepting in, a, of it, of it in an accepting way or are neutral towards it, or to put it in reverse, that means one out of twenty, only one out of twenty, find this sin morally repulsive. 61% of the Pornography that's watched is via your mobile phone. And that number goes up here in the United States to 70%. And this isn't just an issue with men. 33% of women under the age of 25 have searched for it at least once a month. And 80% of those who use it feel no sense of guilt While doing so. Church family, these numbers are from 2016. Seven years ago. We can only imagine that they have been increased in the last seven years. And I would hope that these numbers are not reflective of the church. But I'm not naive to think that these sins are not an issue and present Among us. And so, as we come to this commandment in our passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the question that's before us is how do we live faithfully when the world in so many ways bombards us and tempts us to live sensual lives? Well, this evening, Paul's instruction from to the Corinthian church and from the seventh commandment is as relevant today as it was back then. Paul calls our attention to the truth that the Lord Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection, has, has called the people out to be joined to him, both in body and in soul, and in their entire being. So that their entire lives are to be lived for him. And as a result, sexual immorality has absolutely no place in the life of a Christian. For it is a blatant contradiction of the oneness between the Lord and his people. And the biblical response... To this sin, as it comes to us and tempts us, and no doubt it will, is to flee. To flee. And in fleeing, glorify God in your body and in your spirit. As we hope to consider this theme, do you not know that you should not commit adultery? Three times Paul asks this question of what don't you know? And he gives three reasons in the process of why we should put off this sin. And the first, for your body belongs to the Lord. Second, your body is not for sexual immorality. And third, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. The city of Corinth was a populous and a pr- prosperous city. It was known for its trade, its political importance, but it was also known for its immorality, its sin. It was known the, the Corinthians and many of the people who came to the city came and visited to worship the Greek goddess of love, and they did so, so often, by engaging in immoral sexual acts. The Corinthian church was not exempt from these heinous sins. And throughout his letters to the Corinthian church, we find Paul addressing these sins again and again, along with other issues that existed within this church. The men and women were who were brought to Christ, they understood that it was Christ who was the power, it was his power, the power of God, and that he was the wisdom of God who was able to save them um, that belief, as we re- read in First Corinthians chapter one. Yet many of them were still beset with the lusts and passions of the flesh, including gross sexual immorality. And it wasn't even a secret among them. They even attempted, they were attempting to justify their, their sins. And by doing so, they were abusing their Christian liberty. They were twisting their Christian liberty to, to do that which was not right in the sight of the Lord. And one of the slogans that they used to, to promote what they were doing in in their daily lives was the slogan that Paul picks up on in verse 12. All things are lawful to me. This is something that the Corinthians would have said to to them as maybe if someone confronted them. All things are lawful to me. And the all things included what they thought was the right to fornication or to elicit Illicit relationships between men and women. And now as Paul begins addressing this sin in the Corinthian church, he begins, uh, by taking this twisting of their Christian liberty and the, and the breaking of the seventh commandment by, by coming to them with their own slogans that they were using. And then so during, in doing, he begins to turn their arguments on their head. Demonstrating that they were, they were enslaved to their passions and sins. Verse 12, Paul says, all things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful unto me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Paul, Paul as he begins, addressing the sin, he he comes to them and, and he argues with them in the sense, he says, even if something is lawful, even if something is okay to do, doesn't mean it's beneficial or expedient to do. It doesn't mean we should just indulge ourselves in it, even if it is lawful. Children, I know many of you like to eat candy. But just because it's okay to have some here and there, permissible to eat it, lawful, doesn't mean it's good for you all the time. It's not beneficial when you visit the dentist. And this is the sort of argument that Paul is saying. Just because something might be okay, doesn't mean it's good for you. And then Paul pushes it a little bit further. He says, All things may be lawful unto me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. I will not be mastered by it. In the process of claiming Christian liberty and doing what they wanted, the Corinthian church, the Christians in Corinth, had become enslaved to their own passions and desires. They become mastered by this sin. And they were missing out the point on their Christian liberty. Christian liberty was meant to be for freedom. And here they were using it, twisting it, and it was enslaving them into sin. They were missing the point. Christian liberty was meant to be a freedom that allowed the Christian, allows us to serve others. And they were using it to serve their own desires, their own pleasures, their own passions. Are we being mastered by something that may be lawful but isn't helpful or beneficial? And as Paul comes to this, he hasn't outright confronted the sin that's, a, that's being addressed right now or the Seventh Commandment sin, but he gets there with the next verse. And again, he, he brings up another slogan that was being perpetrated by the Corinthian church in their use to justify their immoral and sensuous, sensual lusts. Not only were all things lawful or permissible, but the Corinthians, would say, not only were the Corinthians saying that, but the Corinthians would also say something along these lines. Just like food is for the belly, for the stomach, and the stomach for food, they would say so is sex for the body and body the body for sex, attempting to justify their illicit sins. And Paul says... The first statement may be true. Meats for the belly and belly for the meats. There may be something to that, he says. But then he adds, but God shall destroy both it, the belly, and them, the food. There will be a point in time where we won't need to eat anymore. But then he says the latter will not be destroyed. The body will not be destroyed. Food and eating may be done away with. But as one commentator says, the body is not destined to be destroyed, but it is to be transformed. It is to be glorified, and therefore there is no such connection between the body and sensual lusts as as there is between the belly and the food. Paul says, as he continues in verse 13, he says, The body is not for fornication. But for the Lord and the Lord for the body. That word fornication is, is all encompassing. It has the idea of sexual immorality as a whole. In this, Paul gives, as Paul addresses this, saying that the body is not for this, but the body is for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Paul is giving an incredible importance to our physical bodies. In the, in the Greek New Testament, there are two words that could be translated into flesh or body. And the, the first of these Greek words is the Greek word sarke, which can be translated as flesh, body, human nature. And it, it's often used in the context of man's weakness, his frailty, his, his fallen state, his physical flesh that so often falls into, into sin. And the second is, and the second Greek word that is used is soma, which can be translated as, it is almost always translated as body. And it's primarily used in the context of of humanity, in for humanity, as a one who is made for the Lord. To be used, a body that is to be used in service of the Lord. And this is the word that Paul uses in verse 13. This body that was created to serve the Lord is for the Lord and the Lord for the body. One commentator commenting on this word says, is it, the body is the instrument wherein man serves God. It means it is the means whereby he glorifies God. It is a term that encompasses the whole person. Your physical flesh, your emotions, your mind, the entire body. But what does it mean that the body is for the Lord and the Lord is for the body? Well, we need to go to verse fourteen to help us here. You can see we have the word Lord in verse thirteen twice. And then in verse 14 we read, And God hath raised up the Lord. So who is the Lord here, children? The Lord here is referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we could go back to verse 13 and say, But the body is for the Lord Jesus. And the Lord Jesus for the body. But what does it mean that your body is to be for the Lord? And what does it mean that the Lord is for the body? Well, the body body is for the Lord, has this idea that our whole being, our physical frame, our hands, our feet, our mind, our emotions, our feelings, is to be used in service for the Lord, for His glory, to bring glory to His name. And as Paul will, and we'll get to this a little bit later, to be the temple, of the Holy Spirit, but then what? What does it mean that the Lord is for the body? I think Paul here is connecting and comparing to what he said earlier about how food is for the stomach, and stomach the stomach is for the food. And so the believer needs the Lord in order to live for the Lord. It is only as God enables that we can live the kind of bodily life that we were meant that we were meant for we need the power of christ whose redemption his power to live in a way that is pleasing to him we need his death and resurrection not just for our souls but for our entire being for our soul and body Jesus did not just die on the cross to save our souls, but he died on the cross to save our, our souls and body, to redeem the whole person so that we would be with him one day in soul and body. And it is by his resurrection power that God raised our Lord Jesus from the dead, giving him life, that he gives life, to not just our soul, but in, in glory one day we will be reunited with him with a perfect body. He raises dead sinners to life, spiritual, spiritual life, making them members of his glorious body, the church. This is what Paul is drawing our attention to in verse 14. He says, God hath both raised up the Lord, our Lord Jesus, But he will also raise up us by his own power. God the Father raised his Son to life again in his body, which then ascended and sits at his Father's right hand. And so that same power raises up dead sinners like each of us were or maybe still are and raises them to life to serve the Lord with our entire being. He raises up people from dead to give them spiritual life. He raises them up to give them the strength, the energy, the power to put off sin and to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. He raises them up to give them the desires of holiness, the desire to be conformed to his image. So that one day, one day when we either leave this life And we'll be buried with our physical bodies. Which we then look forward to a day where he returns and raises our physical bodies out of the grave. Bringing them, making them an incorruptible body, an immortal body, a perfect body. That will then be used forever to bring glory to his name. But he now calls us who know the Lord Jesus Christ. He calls us to live this way now already. Oh yes, in the weakness of our flesh. But he calls us to do that, to live this way in dependence on his strength and his power, his resurrection power. And so if the body is for the Lord and the Lord is for the body Friend, that means then sins that are done in the body, with the body, are especially heinous in his sight. Because if you if you are a believer, if you are in Christ, and as Paul says here, your body is a member of Christ's body. You're members of Christ. And Paul puts this as a question to the Corinthian church. Verse 15. Know ye not that your bodies are members of Christ? And the question, the way the question's is asked implies an affirmative answer. A yes, of course we do. In a sense, he asks, what? Don't you know that you, in your entire being, are members of Christ? And the Corinthian church should have been able to say, Of course we do, Paul. We know that. But then the follow-up question, and Paul brings his argument home with this question. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of an harlot? Shall I take the members our body shall I take my body, which is a member of Christ's body, and give it over into sexual immorality? And the answer, the implied answer here is no. It's like Paul is saying, So so Corinthian church, will you take your bodies and now go and give them over into relationships with someone who is not your wife or your husband the answer should have been of course not but Paul is not certain that the corinthians could have answered this way for many were living in sexual sexually immoral lives and so he concludes this verse with this strong statement God forbid. It's like he's saying to the Corinthians, Corinthians, do you not already know that you are members of Christ's body? Do you not know that this means you should not join yourselves in any appearance of any sexual immorality? God forbid that you would do this. Well, this isn't just for the Corinthian church. It's like Paul is saying to the, grand, the congregation of the Heritage Reformed Grand Rapids, to us today, to all of us. Do you not know that you're members, that you are members of Christ's body? If Christ has redeemed you, bought you with a price, you're members of his body. And don't you understand that this means that you cannot and should not be giving yourselves over to, to lies of sexual immorality? That you should be considering how you are using your bodies, your mind, your eyes, your technology, your time don't you know that it's not right to make yourself a member of a harlot? And I trust, I pray that most of us, all of us would say, of course, we know that we shouldn't. But Paul comes, God forbid God forbid that you should give yourselves that you should still indulge in this sin. Be it far from you. Paul Paul could have cl- concluded his argument here but he doesn't. He he he's he wants to bring this home with the Corinthians and so he not only addresses this idea that our bodies are for the Lord and the Lord is for the body. But then he, he, in verses 16 through 18, brings it home that our bodies are not for sexual immorality. They're not meant for loose living. Here Paul draws on the principle that's behind marriage where he goes back to Genesis 1 or Genesis 2, the end of the chapter, and he quotes from what Moses wrote in Genesis 2. that When a, mother, when a, uh, a man and a woman leave their father and mother and cleave to one another and become one, that intimate relationship between a husband and a wife is, generally, is in integrally binding that brings them together into, into oneness. And Paul now is going to connect on this idea of how, how when two become one through, through, intimate, through an intimate relationship that it's not easily broken and should not be. And so Paul, Paul begins this segment by saying in verse 16, what? know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body for two saith he here's he, he's quoting genesis 2 shall become one flesh and again the implied answer is of course you do here Paul is appealing to the common knowledge that the nature of intimate relationship is that when, when two of the opposite sex bind together in an in, in intimate relationship, they are being united into one. And Paul uses this word here, joined. And in the Greek, the, this word comes from the, the Greek word that we would translate in English to glue, or glue, glue as the substance that holds things together. The idea is here of joining, of two things becoming one, sticking together, being glued together. Maybe if you are in woods class and you're making a, maybe a tabletop or a desktop and you need to take a bunch of smaller boards and put them together into one board and you're going to be taking glue on it and clamping it together, it becomes one. If you've done everything well, this idea of gluing, joining. And Paul is using it here, just saying that when when one joins himself to another in sexual immorality, in illicit relationships, they become one in relationship. This is true whether it's in the physical act or if it's in our thoughts and our minds or whether it's with the eye, viewing, videos or pictures. Paul then says, but if you are joined to the Lord, the same word joined, if you are, as it were, glued into a relationship with the Lord, and you are one spirit. When one is joined to the Lord, to Christ, there is a spiritual union. They become one. They're joined, they're glued together by a tie that is strong and intimate so that the child of God is one with his Lord. And being one with his Lord, he has, as Paul says in in chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians, the mind of Christ. And friend, when you have the mind of Christ, when you're one with the Lord Jesus Christ, and then committing this sin of against the seventh commandment. It's wrong. For a believer to be living in, pursuing illicit sexual relations, whether it's through active participation, or whether it's through the viewing of material with our eyes, or even the the conceiving of it in our minds. One is living a life of blatant contradiction. How can one who is united to Christ then be united with such perversity and wickedness, the Apostle Paul is saying? In this sense, the breaking of the seventh commandment as a believer is, is, in a sense, an attempt to tear apart that which the Lord has joined together in bringing sons and daughters to himself. How can it be? And yet we know it happens. We don't have to go far in the Scriptures to see even dear children of God. We think of David, the man after God's own heart, Falling into into this sin into adultery with Bathsheba, so it cannot break the union and communion that exists between or the the union between Christ and his church, but there will be there will be a brokenness in communion when living in it and it gives. It gives a, a wrong impression to the world of what it means to be joined to Christ. <clears throat> and Paul, knowing the, the captivating nature of the sin, the power of it that can overcome this sin, and a person as they maybe are tempted by it, issues an incredibly strong command to the church at Corinth. Verse 18. Flee. Flee fornication. Flee sexual immorality. Turn and run. And don't stop running. The way it's presented in the original is, look, make it a habitual habit to run from this sin. One commentator writes, this is the only way to treat the sin. Fighting, fighting it seldom works. It cannot be satisfactorily dealt with by any less dramatic, drastic measure. For it is a sin that involves our our entire body. It involves our senses, our emotions, our entire being. And once the emotions and the feelings become involved, it is incredibly hard to resist and to fight. And so the Apostle Paul, and I say to you, flee, flee fornication like joseph get up and run leave whatever you need to behind and go children you remember joseph how he was busy doing his own work in in the in the house and his master's wife comes to him and says come lie with me but joseph was resolved not even to put up a fight but to flee and he runs out of the home leaving his coat behind not worrying about the consequences but running friend are you resolved to run or do you or do you think you can fight it We began the sermon by looking at some of the numbers related to the use of pornography. And to think that we as a church are exempt or free from this sin would be naive. And it's not just an issue for our young people. And like, like the Corinthians, we too can have this lazy approach to this sin. We are so often exposed to it, even if we don't want to. Maybe not necessarily outright and explicit, but nonetheless, things that can stimulate the mind and the heart and the desires, the thoughts. It doesn't take long to, if you're out working out out at the gym, spending a day at the beach with your family, the advertisements along in, the, in your internet browsers, the movies you watch, the online games that you play, has it become normal to see it? We think we can avoid it or ignore it. Has it become normal to indulge? To think about it. To delve into it. Joseph, no doubt, was resolved in his mind well before the event that took place in his master's home. He was resolved. He had made up his mind. This is what he would do if this happened. Friend, are you resolved to run and to flee Has it become harder and harder to resist? Paul says flee. Run. Don't even attempt to fight. And as you run, run for help. Run to the Lord Jesus Christ. And friend, if you failed to flee in the past, you know how captivating this sin is. How addictive it is. And you cannot, you know you cannot, and you will not resist it in your own strength and your own power. So reach out for help. Run to the Lord. Run to the to the means that the Lord has given you to help. Find yourself an accountability partner, someone who's gonna hold you accountable. And parents, are you aware of what your children are doing online? Are you holding them accountable in their use of their time with their devices? Run. Run. But also know that if you are in the Lord Jesus Christ you have one who is actually indwelling you, who can help you, and who desires to help you. And that is his spirit. We'll look at that in our third thought. Once more, the Apostle Paul comes to us with something he expects us to know. Verse 19, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? Which is in you, which ye have of God. What? Don't you know that you are not your own? Don't you know, dear believer, that you, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, which is from God? And not only that, don't you know that you are not your own, Paul says. Don't you know that you belong to another? Not only has the Lord incorporated each of his people into his body, made their bodies members of of him, joined them together with him into one spirit, but he has purchased, he has bought with a price, his people incorporating them, to himself. He has purchased you, dear child of God, with his precious blood. And so you are not your own anymore. You're called to live holy for him, to, to love him and to serve him. And to remember that he has not only purchased you and made you part of his body, but he has also made your body a temple for the Holy Spirit, for the Holy Ghost. Each believer here today's body is a temple. How are you keeping that temple? Your temple is the place where the Spirit of God dwells. It's a place where the Spirit ministers with your spirit, that you are his children. It's a place where the Spirit establishes communion with the Father and his Son and the Lord Jesus. It's a place where the Spirit governs our hearts and our minds A place where the Spirit conforms us more and more into the image of our Lord Jesus. It's a place where the Spirit comforts the soul, especially as you go through challenging times, tempting times. It's a place where He equips the believer to for spiritual warfare, even that warfare of fighting and fleeing as necessary, even these devastating sins of the seventh commandment. It's a place where he equips his people with his own word, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Do you recognize that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, dear believer? Are you in tune with his presence and his work in your life? Or in the words of Richard Sibbs, he says, let us lay ourselves open to the Spirit's touch. May we heed his marching orders in this spiritual warfare that we have been called to. May we recognize that we are are called to a, a great warfare and that being incorporated into Christ's bodies, we have a new general that we serve under. We have a, new, a great king who leads us. And may we use our minds, our bodies, our emotions, our, our desires solely for the one who has bought us, the one who has made us his own. And instead of succumbing to the fatal and mind-numbing poison of sins against the seventh commandment, remember who you belong to and who dwells in you. For if we do succumb, if we have succumbed, we are in danger of grieving the Holy Spirit. Our carnal sins drown the soul. One commentator says, drown the soul in physical delights and defile the Spirit's temple. Like the religious leaders in Jesus' day who are defiling the physical temple in Jerusalem with the buying and selling and the... the of the animals for the sacrifices and making a profit where there should have been no profit. So we can defile the temple of the Spirit when we sell ourselves into wickedness, into sin, especially against the seventh commandment, which involves our bodies. How do we maintain how do we maintain this temple? Well, Paul says in light of the fact that you have been bought with a price and that you're not your own, he says glorify God in your body and in your spirit. He says, therefore, glorify. This word therefore doesn't capture the full extent of what Paul is saying. It's like he, what he's really saying is, so already now, glorify God there's a sense of urgency right now in the moment with your body and your spirit you need to be glorifying the Lord glorifying God is not something we should do at some point in the future but it is something that we're called to now Paul gives instruction as to what this entails, what this can look like. Later on in the book, in chapter 10, he, he writes, Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of the Lord. Use your body, your mind, your emotions, your entire being for the glory of God. Flee sin, flee fornication. Put on righteousness. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Whether you're doing this in single life or in marriage, live pure lives, holy lives. Take your thoughts captive to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let your desires echo those desires of the psalmist over and over. Let your words and your actions be reflective of Hating what God hates and loving what He loves. But friend, if you are living, maybe you're caught up in this sin right now. It sucked you in. It's it's controlling you. He called the Lord calls you to repentance and to faith. To turn from it, to seek out help, to flee from it. But don't attempt to do it on your own. Come to to Him, but also make use of the means. Reach out to one of your elders or your pastors. Know that there's forgiveness even for these sins. David was forgiven. As Nathan came to him and said to him, You are the man. And we read of David's confession of, of this very sin in Psalm 51 against thee. Thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. And David experienced the beauty of forgiveness even for this sin. And you too can experience the forgiving power of Christ to purchase you, to buy you back, to bring you back into a relationship with him. So friend, if you are caught in this, flee. Flee to the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is able to make you a member of his body, to raise you up by his own power to give you power to flee. And in Christ, you have tremendous help. You have the Spirit. You have the fellowship of the believers, of the body of Christ. And so make use of them. The Corinthians were caught up in it. But that did not cut them off. But Paul calls them to turn and to rest in Christ Jesus alone. And that's our only hope for even this sin. Amen. <clears> o <throat> oh Lord, help us to live pure, holy lives in thy sight. And do forgive our sins. Even in light of the seventh commandment. Sins that encompass the entire being. Our entire bodies and minds. And, and Lord, that are such a contradiction to what it means to be a child of God, to be a member of Christ, to be part of His body, to be one with Him. And so how can we then be give ourselves to another oh Lord we pray for grace and help and strength to fight to flee this sin and Lord if there is any in our midst who are who have been sucked in caught up in this devastating sin we pray that they would not attempt to fight it on their own but that they would flee, they would run for help. O oh, God, give them strength and power to do so. Lord, we pray this all in the sovereign and the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.